this is kind of a new gig for me. Um, I'm used to teaching, but I'm not used to teaching in front of this kind of crowd. So you folks uh, keep me in your prayers because I want to make sure that we understand what God has for us today, okay? You know, I got to thinking about what I was going to say this morning, and I, uh, <laughs> I probably had a flood of 50 things to say, and I'm not sure that any of them are on the paper. <laughs> but one of the things that struck me was here we are at the end of 2020. This is December 27th. Has this been a year or what? Yeah. You know, I don't know about you, but this has been one roller coaster ride for me. You know, we started off at the beginning of the year, everything was blowing and going. I don't know about your work or your business, but everything was blowing and going. We were busy, everybody was employed. Everybody was trying to figure out how to get it all done. And then March, the COVID, the pandemic, you know, the, the thing that stopped the world. Now, you know, of all the years that I've lived, and judging for most of you, it's more than most of you, uh, I have never, ever experienced anything close to what I saw in March. And I'm sure you haven't either. The world shuts down. Everything comes to a screeching halt. In fact, people, people are panicking. You know, I haven't really experienced that much panic before. Have you? So, you know... Then we start hearing about all these people that are dying. And more importantly, we start hearing about all of the people that are going to die. And you start to wonder, well, how do I protect myself? What do I do? How do I protect my family? What's next? You know, and worse than that, nobody seems to have any answers. So, you know, my actual reaction was, well, you know, we can get through this. <laughs> We've been through worse than this, surely. So, Gosh, you know, I grew up with a family. My dad was a World War II veteran. and You know, he'd been through a lot. And he taught us that, you know, you just got to keep going. So I figured, well, you know, we'll get past this. The doctors got this. Somehow or another, we're going to get this figured out. And um, so the first couple of months, everything was okay. Shock kind of wore off. But then all of a sudden, we started having some more questions. Is this thing really as bad as we say it is? I mean, gosh, we're all sitting still wondering what to do, wondering how to react. Then all of a sudden, I'm getting worried about, can I have a job? Or if you're like me, you're running a business, you're wondering, gosh, is this thing going to survive? Now, look, the whole routine got turned upside down at that point. We stayed at home. We're not going out anymore. All of a sudden, we're meeting by Zoom. All of a sudden, we're attending church online. That's a new one for me. But, you know, here in Texas, we had it pretty good. Things began to open up along about May, June, right? We sort of kind of got adjusted to the, all the changes that were taking place. Break was actually kind of nice, wasn't it? First time I've slowed down like that. Finally got the kids corralled. Hey, the kids loved it, didn't they? 
they had spring break that turned into summer break. I'm not sure the parents were all that thrilled about it. It didn't affect me so much because all my kids are grown, but I've got staff members, and my gosh, they were reeling from how to deal with their kids. So then things kind of got better, and we got through the summer, and then we sort of kind of get things back going again, and so the kids are going to school, but then they're not going to school, but then they are going to school, and then they're not going to school. I'm not sure where they're going to school yet. Are they going to school? But then, you know, this whole thing kind of drags out, and it kind uh, of wears on you a little bit. You know, most of us in Tyler really didn't have it all that bad. There's a lot of places pretty bad. You know, I don't have any kids that live here, but, uh, you know, the big cities are different than here. I've got one child who's been out at work for nine months. I've got one who's been quarantined twice because of being exposed to, quote, COVID. I've got one who hadn't been in the office for a year. There's other things that are worse. I've had a good friend of mine who died from COVID. I've had another colleague that I know his wife died from COVID. So it's a real thing, and the questions again start setting in. Some folks, unemployment benefits are running out. Some folks, they've been laid off from the job. So here we are at the end of the year, and it's been a roller coaster at best. I suspect most of us are feeling a bit anxious. I'm sure we're a bit uncertain about what the future is going to hold wondering about how all this will play out. In fact, if you're like me, getting a little bit tired of it. So, I have some good news for us today, I think. The passage we're going uh, to study this morning is Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, if you want to turn there. But listen to Jesus, what Jesus said about this roller coaster. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew 11, 28, 29. So, you know, I've known that passage. I've known that passage for a long time. And, but somehow, somehow, as long as I've walked with the Lord, I'm still burdened, and I'm still wondering. I'm still wondering how all things are going to work out. Well, I think i got some good news for us, so let's all stand, if you will, with me. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we've been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted the point of shedding your blood. 
and you've forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take light of, make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. And your hardship is discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more, then, should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. You know, this is kind of an important passage to me. Uh, a time when I was kind of going through a really tough time in my life. I had a good friend who did something that I don't like to do. He made me memorize this passage. And literally made me memorize the passage. But it's helped me a lot to deal with a lot of different things. But one of the things that's so important with this passage this morning is if you're weary, pay attention. All right, so right there in verse 1, therefore. So we all know about therefore. If you've been in my class, you'll know that therefore there's a reason why it's there, right? Okay, now in order to understand Hebrews 12, we've got to kind of back up to Hebrews 11. And, you know, I'm sure we got plenty of time. We started early. We'll get out of here by at least one. Okay. Now, we're just going to summarize chapter 11. Chapter 11 is something that most of us know as the hall of fame of faith. Okay? So, in our passage, we say, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So it strikes me, the first thing we need to ask, what's the race? What race is the writer of Hebrews talking about? Well, he talks about it in chapter 11. So chapter 11 starts off giving us what faith is, and then it goes on to gives us a whole litany of the Old Testament people of faith, and all of the names that we know are there, right? Abel, Abraham, Moses, David. There's some 20 names and groups of people that are listed in that Hall of Fame of Faith. And the point that the writer is making is that all of these people lived a life of faith. Then what he says in Chapter 12 is, you're in a race. So what's the race? Clearly, folks, the race is life. It's life itself, and it's the life of faith. So here's what faith is, according to the writer of Hebrews. 
Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That is what the ancients were commended for. And later on, in chapter 11, he says, Without faith, it's, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Okay. So we've got this life of faith that we're trying to pursue. <clears throat> Look what some of the ancients endured over in verse 32 and th through 38. And what more can, shall I say? I do not have time to talk about Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah or David or Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions and quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned and they were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Sounds like a roller coaster to me. What about you? They were commended for their faith. Verse 39. Yet none of them received what was promised. So here we are. At the end of verse 39, excuse me, at the end of verse 11, chapter 11, verse 39, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us. Hear me. God planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect. So what were they looking for? What was it that they were hoping for and that they were so certain about? Well, you know, that's kind of the beginning of the race, isn't it? We know here, that faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the beginning of the race, isn't it? We just celebrated his birth. We celebrate because the Savior came to the world. And we know how important that is, don't we? If you're a believer, you do. You understand that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. And we all know that that Savior is needed because we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We also know that the penalty for that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So, what's this faith we're talking about? Well, the word of faith we are proclaiming, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you're out there, whether it be in online or here, and you don't know the Lord, there's a lot of folks here who would love to share with you what this means. 
So now we've talked about the beginning of the race. We've talked about what the race is. Now let's talk about what the goal is. So what is the goal? Well, listen to what John said in chapter 17. This is one of the most intimate prayers that Jesus ever uttered while he was on earth. Listen closely to what he says. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you have granted authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. So the goal is eternal life. So what's that? Well, Jesus said it himself in verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Now look, if you've been in my classes, you know that that word know is a pretty important word. There's a lot of different knows in Greek. In fact, one of the problems we have when we study the scriptures is that Greek is what's called a divergent language. It has a lot of words that have very subtle different meanings. And in the English, we have kind of a convergent language because we're a bunch of heathens. But we have this convergent language that we have one word that says a lot of stuff. Good example of that's love. A lot of different words for love in Greek. Well, that's true with no, too. And it's important to understand what this no means because this no has the connotation of having complete knowledge, total completeness. The notion here is, and the only time that I've ever seen it used, either in its verb form or its noun form, the only time I've ever seen it used in the New Testament, is when it's talking about superimposition of complete knowledge, which is typically through experience. You know, if you look back at chapter 11, I think those people were experiencing, weren't they? They were experiencing what the power was because they had this hope. So faith sometimes is a little hard to grasp. You're sitting there on a chair, right? When you walked in, you chose the chair, you looked at the chair, and you said, you know, I believe that chair can hold me up. But until you sat down in that chair, you had no way of knowing until you did so, right? But having done so, you now know that that chair will hold you up. That's faith. And that's the kind of knowledge that he is talking about here. Full, complete knowledge completed, if you will, by experience. Paul says, I, wanted to, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. You know, that's what the ancients were looking for. That's what we should be looking for. That's what the goal of this race is. The goal is to live eternal life, beginning at the beginning of the race and continuing through the race until we actually get to the end of the race, which is when we get to meet Jesus face to face. Okay, so we made it through what? One, path, one verse? See, I told you it's going to take a while. All right. Look at verse 2. 
if the goal is eternal life, and Jesus came here to save everyone who is willing, look at what he says we're supposed to do to get through the race. First, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him. Okay? So it looks to me like joy is another goal, isn't it? The first goal is eternal life. The second goal is joy. And in order to achieve that, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, it's interesting words here. Author and perfecter of our faith. So Jesus is the author. He's the beginner. He's the founder, the pioneer. The literal word here, he is, he is the captain prince of our faith. Literally, the chief leader of our faith. So, you know, and all sounds great, big words. He wrote the book. He's the author. Not only did he write the book, but he is the perfecter of our faith. So that word there in Greek is kind of interesting because it holds this connotation of completeness. So when you see this in the scriptures where it says we're made perfect or trying to be made perfect, really that's the notion there is complete. And then look what he says. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him. Consider. Ponder. Contemplate. Estimate. Think about. And think about what he did. Yes, he came here, and yes, he provided our salvation. But he endured the cross in order to do that. And he endured opposition from sinful men. Now, can you imagine coming here as the Savior who lived a sinless life, and all he did was get opposed by sinful men? And yet, despite the fact that he was opposed, at every step of the way, he still was willing to go to the cross. He scorned its shame, the shame that normally would be for a convict. It was the worst form of capital punishment possible, and he purposed himself to do that. He wrote the book about how you were going to receive your salvation. Not only did he write it, but he perfected it. So consider him, the one who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, life's kind of tough right now for some of us, and it's been kind of tough this last year, but are you weary? Have you lost heart? Okay, we're going to talk about that later, so hang on to that. And now we're going to go through a litany of things that 
are impediments to the race. You ready? Verse 4. In your struggle against sin, aha, uh-huh, there's the first one. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted the point of shedding your blood. I notice there I can resist. I notice there it's a struggle. And I realize now that I have a long way to go before I shed blood, right? And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. Oh, if you're like me, I forget a lot. And I've forgotten a word of encouragement. And here it is. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Hmm. Endure hardship as discipline. For God is treating you as a son. All right, so let's talk about discipline. Nobody likes discipline, right? In fact, he says so right here. Now, we in America have a wrong picture of what discipline is. Do you know what the root word of discipline is? It's disciple. It's disciple. A discipline is not necessarily punishment. That's the way we see it. We just think discipline, we think punishment. Well, punishment's a part of discipline. It can be a part of discipline, but it's not what discipline's all about. My dad used to use this term all the time when I was a kid. He used to talk about following a discipline. He used to talk about, you know, this particular study or this course of study, well, that's a discipline. Well, you know, that's the word here. The word means to follow or train or educate. So that's not the same thing as punishment, although punishment can be part of that. I guess if, you know, we've all disciplined our kids, right? In fact, he's going to talk about there in just a second. But discipline is not something we should be afraid of. Endure hardship is discipline. God is treating you sons. For what son has not been disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone who undergoes discipline, you are illegitimate children and not true sons. So all you kids out there, when you're being disciplined by your parents, you're being treated as a son. They love you. That's the point. The point is to correct behavior because they love you. You know, that was a big issue for me. When I was growing up, (laughs) I grew up in a pretty strict home. And it just seemed like I had this picture of God. I knew who he was. He was the guy that was that guy, guy sitting in the air with a big stick, and he was just waiting for me to make a mistake, so he hit me with it. Oh, no. That is not at all what's going on here. He's trying to give you life. You'll see it here in just a second. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more, then, should we submit to the Father of our spirits and what? Live. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. You ready? That we may share in his holiness. What does that mean? How do you share in God's holiness? Well, holiness is kind of an interesting word, too. You know, This process that I'm describing here, we have a big word for it. It's called sanctification. I don't like big words. 
because I don't understand big words real well. But this process of working out your salvation, as Paul talks about it, or this process of um, sanctification is a process of learning how to follow so that we can become holy. Now, if you're like me, I never thought about myself as being holy. I never thought that was even a possibility. But you know what? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you can share in God's holiness. He has reserved it for you. He has conferred it upon you because of your belief in his Son. Look at something else, however. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. So as I said before, discipline is something that we all undergo. Discipline is something we need in order to learn how to follow. And sometimes it's painful. In fact, one of the worst things you can ever do is let God take you to the woodshed. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Watch out here. For those who have been trained by it. So, you on a roller coaster? You weary? You're looking for peace? You're looking for rest? Choose discipline. Choose to be trained. Choose to look at, fix your eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of your faith, and learn to be trained. Now, there's something interesting about that passage. Notice that even though you can be trained, it doesn't mean that you will be trained. Right? So if you're like me, you had to go to the woodshed about three or four times before I figured out that I might ought to pay attention. So kids, listen to me. Listen to your parents. Honor your father and your mother. This will go well with you and give you a long life, right? Listen to your parents. They, are, they love you. They're trying to help you and correct you and show you how to follow the right way. We're going to go over the results here about what the results of the race are here in just a second. But before we do that, I want to talk about some applications, some stuff that I've learned over way too many years at this point. First thing is this. Run the right race. Run the right race. This race that we're running here is not just life. It's not just getting along, going along to get along. We're running the race of faith. Notice also it says run the race. It doesn't say walk. Now you've got to persevere through that. We're going to talk about perseverance here in a second, but it's an endurance race. You see that? Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. So it's not something that we're going to do tomorrow and then be finished. It's not something that you're going to 
do for a few days or a few weeks. It's something that's going to be a lifelong process. So listen, focus on the goal and run the right race. So what's the goal? We talked about that a second ago. It's eternal life. It's in knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus today, experiencing him today, walking with him, or excuse me, running with him today, seeking after him and what he wants for us. As you do that, you will experience this living in faith, this race of faith that we're in here. Another thing is, look, you need to study the example. You know, he's the author of the book here, folks. He's the author of this book. Study the book. Study the author. What is he saying to us? Try to figure it out. You know, I'll never forget when I first became a believer, I wasn't fortunate enough to have a church like you folks around me. I didn't have anybody to tell me anything. I wasn't sure what to do, except that I had a Bible that my parents had given me to go to college. I should have read it more. But I picked up this Bible, and, you know, nothing against the King James Version, but I couldn't understand what in the blaze they were talking about. And somehow I bumbled and fumbled my way into a church someplace, and they told me to, here, why don't you try this? And they handed me the NIV, which is what I've been reading out of, because, you know, after that happened, it was just like this, the curtains got drawn open. Read the book. It's really not that hard to understand. The truth is we spend a lot of time talking about it because we want to know exactly what God is about, and it's the depth of it's unbelievable. But, you know, it's really not that hard to understand. All right. So something else here. Going back to verse 1, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Okay, so we don't like talking about this, but we're going to talk about this. So what are we talking about when we're talking about hindrances? Well, let me tell you the first thing that I can tell you is that when you have received the Lord, you have ex believed in Him, you have confessed Him, the Holy Spirit comes in and takes residence in you. Now, let me see if I understand the Scriptures right. God the Father, Jesus the Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, one God, right? Now, I'm not going to try to explain the Trinity. That's the best I can do. But that means that the Holy Spirit is God. That means that God resides within you. That means that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can do even greater things than Jesus did. That's what he told us. So do you believe the book? So the first thing that we have as a hindrance is instead of relying on the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, we rely on me. Because after all, I got that figured out. In fact, the most difficult thing trying to get ready to talk to you folks today was getting out of the way. Listen to what Isaiah says about that. Even youths grow weary, tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. 
So even in the Old Testament, even in the olden days, the hope was in the strength of the Lord. It wasn't in our own strength. So another thing, another passage that I think is so great is our inability to worship effectively. So if you look over in Romans chapter 12, you'll find that Paul talks about what it means to worship. And he says that, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now notice, you're to present your body as a living sacrifice, but that doesn't mean there's no sacrifice. Also notice that it's already been made holy. You, by the belief in Jesus, have been made holy. And the reason for that is because the Holy Spirit resides within you. So, we don't worship because we don't really present ourselves as a living sacrifice. We don't submit to God and present ourselves to be used as a sacrifice. Another thing, Romans 12, 2. You know, the church today, unfortunately, looks too much like the world. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, you know, I have a lot of folks, sometimes they'll say, gosh, I really I would like to know what the will of God is. <laughs> okay. Well, first thing you got to do is you got to present yourself as a living sacrifice. The second thing you got to do is you got to cast off the ways of the world, folks. If you want to know what God's will is, generally speaking, most of the time, you can look out there in the world and see how the world does it. Turn 180 degrees, you're close. All right. Now, here's another one. And this is a big one, particularly for today. Don't be a slave to fear. Do you realize how many times in the book that the author wrote, he says, don't be afraid? I'm going to give you one of my other favorite ones, but this one first. Romans 8, 15, For you did not receive the spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you receive the spirit of sonship. So if the writer of Hebrews is talking us about us being treated as his sons, then it's fairly clear to me that we shouldn't be a slave to fear. Now here's one of my favorites. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. I'm going to quote King James on this one. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love, and of self-control. John says it this way, and so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. There is no fear in love. 
But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Okay. So those are some hindrances that I see that we need to throw off. Now here's another one. It's the one we don't like to talk about much. Sin. Why don't we like to talk about that? Because we're all guilty. We all know it. But then if we weren't, why would we need a Savior? So we need to understand sin. And we need to see it properly. I'm not saying we should do it. What I'm saying, though, is listen. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free. And the law of sin, and set me free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8. Okay. So, look, if you think you're going to be able to handle this yourself, you're not. If you think you're going to be able to correct your sin, you're not. If there was anything that the Old Testament was testifying to and the law was testifying to is that we don't have the ability to do this ourselves. That's part of the reason why you need to read Romans 12, 1 and 2. Because Romans 12, 1 and 2 tell you how you do this as a believer in Christ. But you have to realize that sin, you're not being condemned for your sin. Okay. So here's some other observations. I need to persevere. Perseverance is not easy. The word in Greek is to bear up under or endure. So how do you persevere? Well, you know, all I can tell you is just keep going. All I can tell you is you've got to keep going in the power of the Lord, and you just got to keep going. So if you're having difficulty, if life has got you down, you just got to keep going. For anybody who has been in school as much as I have, you got to just keep going. But the other thing is that you got to learn. you got to learn from what's going on. Don't forget, you're being taught. You're learning a discipline. You're learning how to follow. But notice that it is a choice to be trained. You can choose not to be trained. As one of my friends always says, just let them go butt a stump. And they will. They'll just keep butting a stump. Sooner or later, you're finally going to figure out that butting a stump hurts, right? I told my kids when they were growing up something that they'll all remember it. In fact, some of them are watching. And I meant to say this when I was talking about understanding sin because it's so important. You know, it's not what you do with your victories that matters. It's what you do with your defeats. 
It's how you take the defeat. It's how you recognize the defeat. It's what, how you see it and what you do with it. And that, folks, is how you are trained. So when you're in the midst of something that's giving you trouble, simple question. Lord, what are you teaching me? What am I supposed to be learning from this? If things are getting tough, why? Is it just because life happens? I don't think so. But you know something, with all of this, at the end of the day, if you've learned to be disciplined, if you've learned to follow, if you have trusted the Lord, if you have given Him all that you can and put His faith in Him, there's a harvest. Look at the end of this. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. So what's this righteousness thing for or about? Romans, Paul tells us in Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And another one that I like so well, don't be anxious about anything. By the way, anxious is a form of fear. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Okay. So we've talked about the goal. We've talked about what the life of faith is. Those are the results. So where are you today? Are you weary? Are you heavy laden or burdened? Are you struggling with sin? Are you being disciplined? Or are you just having trouble dealing with life? You've forgotten that word of encouragement. God is treating you as a son. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, and he will what? This is it. I forgot. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus can give you the rest you'd seek. He can bear your burdens. He can make things right. He can give you peace. All you have to do, fix your eyes on him. Persevere. Run the right race. Keep on. Endure. You have hope. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says. I quoted some of this earlier, but I want to read you the whole thing. You ready? Isaiah 40, verse 28 through 31. Did you, do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired and weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and the young man's, men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. 
They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So my prayer is that you've heard some of these words today from our Lord. I pray that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I pray that you will be trained by the discipline the Lord gives us. And he'll give you a harvest of righteousness and peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the time that we've been able to gather here in freedom and learn from you. I pray, Father, that all the hearts and minds who have heard these words, your words, would be transformed so that they can test and approve, so that they can understand to be a part of your will. I pray, Father, that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit to that end so that we can accomplish that and so that we can be the witnesses in this generation to all the others who need to hear your word. I pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus, for your sake and in the power of your Holy Spirit.